Anyways, uh, all right. So Galatians 4, why don't we kick in? Uh, why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Dearly Father, we thank you for this day, O oh Lord, uh, for the gift of your grace. Lord, we know that uh, you have given us the good purpose, and that is the gospel. Uh, thank you, O oh Lord, for, for the life-saving message that you give through your Son, uh, the sacrifice. And may this continually be our confession as we continue to walk in your ways, proclaiming this word to those that need to hear it. Bless us in your holy name, and Lord, guide us always in your truth. Lord, for all these things we are thankful, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, kicking in here, I know we ended on verse uh, 15 last week. Now we're on verse 16. If someone could, uh, again, just to give you a little synopsis here, a preview. Uh, uh, we, we see St. Paul having concern in his letter for his brothers, familiar language, uh, uh, verse 12, uh, that he is worried about their spiritual welfare, about their, uh, uh, about their faith, and he reminds them of their close relationship with St. Paul, right? Uh, that with his undisclosed ailment, uh, he preached the gospel to them, they cared for him, they treated him as an angel of God, and now... Uh, they would even take their shirt off their back to help him or gouge out their eyes and give it to them, as they say right here in verse 15. But now when the truth is what? When the truth is, oh, <laughs> Carrie's here. I thought she was like just smiling and looking, but she, it's a picture. <laughs> I mean, it's a... She's <laughs> cheating. Cheating. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, but now we see what? We see that... When the truth, what, when, when the truth, what happens? When the truth is, becomes false, or when people turn from the truth, uh, what happens to that relationship? Verse, uh, verse 16 shows us, because of that, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Um, and we see what happens when the truth is told or when the truth is you know when he stands upon that truth it's actually creating not creating but it's actually causing them to become even enemies right and we see how when we talk about the truth of god's word we're not saying we all just believe in one god so what's the big deal but saint paul in the midst of this judaizers confusing the law and gospel together and, and saying the law saves they're creating a different faith and they're creating a different causing this rivalry instead of this oneness and therefore now because of the truth drawing the line in the sand now um he is questioning if they are enemies now right um and this is a great cause of concern i think for saint paul because again he 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 taught them and he he nurtured them and now they're turning from the truth um from friends to enemies from peace to hostility uh, you know, uh, now we see how the line is drawn in the sand when the truth is at risk. Once you break down the truth, it's over. For the church, it's over, right? Once we divert from the truth of God's word and the inerrancy of God's word and the trust in what his word says, there our truth changes. It evolves into something drastically different and dangerous, right? So um, I, I think right here, St. Paul is clearly saying, this is no light matter what you guys are doing. 
this is causing great strife. Do, do you see it? Now, why is this so important? I mean, he could be, we talked about it earlier, but he could just be a hired hand and say, what? Oh, what's the big deal? You know, like, uh, they believe in God and they're fine. You know, I get, I clock in, I clock out, we're good. You know, but no, St. Paul, he loves them so much that here we see the urgency of, of his teaching and knowing what is at stake. And um, I think here we see that their relationship is also at stake. Um, verse uh, verse um, 17, if someone could read that. I could do that. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. All right. So they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So in other words, what's happening here is that the rivals, the Judaizers, are, 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 are coveting the Galatians to, to learn their way, right? To shut them out from, from the truth, from St. Paul and the word. Remember, St. Paul, he is not, you know, he is a chosen instrument, right? Remember in, uh, when he was on the road, and the Lord said, uh, not only to St. Paul, but uh, after that, he, he talked to um, Ananias, and, and, and there he said, um, you know, take this, take this man in, and, and Ananias would say, well, you know who he is, right? I mean, he's the one who persecutes the church. Why would we ever want to take him in? And the Lord said, uh, this will be the chosen instrument. St. Paul will be the chosen instrument. Now, what does that mean? That means he is the, the messenger of the gospel. He is not preaching anything else but Christ and in him crucified, right? And, and this is where we see St. Paul really, it reminds me quickly of, of how uh, he is teaching, but yet at the same time, the rivals are trying to shut this very word out. And this is uh, the danger to which St. Paul is writing to the Galatians that um, they have no good purpose. When there is no good purpose, that result will be destruction, right? And I don't, you know, in this day and age, guys, you know, when we talk about the truth of God's word, we could judge, we could judge people all day long. But even deeper than that, it's, it's more of a great, and it should, be, it should be deeper than that, right? The concern should be their spiritual welfare. Just like St. Paul is showing us here today, he is, he is concerned for the spiritual welfare, and he's trying to show them the truth. And that is our goal, I think, with the Word of God. It's not to use it as a, as a judge for other people, but rather, because of the truth, we know what that good purpose is. And what is that good purpose? Um, why don't we read verse 18? Real quick. I can do it. All right. Uh, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. All right. So as we, you know, I don't know if you heard the sermon tonight, but you saw as I titled it. Um, I know I looked at my daughter because um, uh, she's always uh, she's always telling me when I get home what the sermon title was. 
And uh, sometimes I ask, sometimes I don't. Um, all the time when I don't ask, I think they're expecting me to ask. But when I do ask, they're not expecting it. And then they get flabbergasted, right? Flabbergasted. I haven't used that word in like since fourth grade. Anyways, but but uh, uh, but God's good purpose. What is, you know, verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Now, what is the good purpose? Uh, what is the good purpose? The gospel. The gospel, right? You know, Don, you know, when you know the gospel, Christ alone, right? The law, the gospel, Jesus, death and resurrection, baptism, the gift, the sacraments, Jesus, the fruits of the cross, free gift, free gift, free gift. You run with a clear conscience, right? But when you have an ulterior motive, what happens what happens to that good purpose? It's tainted. It's oh, Jeff, could you um, could you text Ken with the passcode? He's asking about the passcode. I don't know what that is. I mean, yeah, I, I can. But yeah, but but yeah, you know, it's uh, you're right, David. When 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 we taint the word. That good purpose no longer has the purpose of good. And that's obvious, kind of redundant. But when we talk about the good purpose, the gospel, when that is subverted or changed or diluted, no longer do you stand on a solid cornerstone, but rather you are on sinking sand, right? And I think this is very important when it comes to St. Paul, that they don't have a good purpose. But what I tell you, well, it is always good because he is, again, the chosen instrument of God, preaching and teaching the Christ. There is no ulterior, no other message, no other um, leaning, but only in Christ the gospel. And I think we can learn a lot from this because when we talk about church, when we talk about what we need to hear, you know, even as a pastor, right, uh, that good purpose centered on Christ Jesus, there, there we go. Caring for souls. Uh, oh, wow. Carrie with the bear and the flowers on her head. Sorry, her, um, her images are distracting me. But anyways, uh, but uh, it's a bear. Uh, but the, the point is, is that this good purpose is uh, the evil one is always trying to turn us from this good purpose. And even in our proclamation, right? When we preach with that good purpose, that good purpose is Christ, the living word. We're not preaching something else or another elemental spirits of the world, but simply we're preaching the Christ. That is the call to the church, right? That is why pastors preach what they preach, because we only can preach the word. There is nothing else. And in other words, um, I think for uh, St. Paul here, with that good purpose, uh, he, he taught them with a clear conscience, right? With the truth in his hand, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, what a, what a great point that is, I think, you know, especially for myself, uh, as a pastor, always preaching the word, right? We're always taught in seminary, just preach the text, just do it, right? Don't, don't try to get all, you know, don't try to get all, um, you know, too creative in a sense of your own, your own way about it, but just preach the text, what does the word say? 
because there we find our good purpose, right? That, that's, what, that's all it is, right? Uh, we're not here to attract. We're not here to entertain per se. But we're simply here to give the living word of Christ because we believe what? That this word actually is the good purpose that creates and sustains faith in us. Right? I don't know why I'm yelling. But anyways, uh, I always do that. That's what my kids say. Dad, just talk. You don't have to yell. I'm not yelling. Anyways, um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyways uh, so that, that's the key right here, I think. Uh, but when you are the Judaizers and you're preaching a, a law saves, law of Moses saves, circumcision saves, that is not a good purpose. Because at the end of the day, what does that purpose give? More despair, more terror, no salvation whatsoever. Right? Oh, wow, we have nine squares. It's like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> or Hollywood squares, maybe. <laughs> Hollywood squares. I used to watch Andy Davis on one of the screens, the, the maid. Oh, I, I loved her when I was a kid. She was so funny. Anyways, um, uh, <laughs> makes me want to sing the song. Anyways, uh, but as we continue, verse 19 to 20, verse 19 to 20, if we could read that. Okay. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. All right. So, so you know, oh, uh, evening, Ryan. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I think your dad was trying to get in too, right? I think he's he in. Was. Oh, he's right there. <laughs> Why am I not? <laughs> he's right there. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're the, the Brady Bunch tonight. I love this number nine. Um, but, uh, we see right here in verse 19. Now, my little children, what does that imply quickly? What does that imply about St. Paul when he addresses them? My little children. Fatherly concern for them. Fatherly concern. Paul, um, Paul led many people to Christ, helping them mature spiritually yeah so so once you you talk about mature spiritually uh sheldon that they are little children still learning right still depending of course we're all little children we are all like little children uh depending on the father and his word um and here we see my little children so saint paul is addressing them like he is their father very frustrated with them too though he's very frustrated like like they're acting like children but they they should know better they should know better than to be doing the things they're doing so he's frustrated you know, you know I, I think there is that tone as well in a sense where um but i think you know even i, I think for uh, i think all of us as well i think i think like little children we are as well we should I think we should all know better as well uh, in a sense of what we ought to do and, and, and what this life of faith is all about. Uh, and that little child-like address is that posture in a sense of one, on one hand, they are, as Nancy would say in the morning, that they are young in the face, that they're young, uh, that they're trying to, they're continuing to grow in the faith, but also there is this fatherly care, right? Not a hired hand. What would a hired hand address them? He'd be people. What's your problem, right? People, right? Actually, I don't even think a hired hand would really care. He would just move on his way 
clock in, clock out, I'm done for the day, it's enough, right? I tried my best, oh well, right? But we see St. Paul, he knows that God has called him to preach familial language, family, father. Now, fathers, what do fathers do? It says in the Bible, do not exasperate your children, but teach them in the word of the Lord, right? And this is what he's doing. He is teaching them the word time and time again. And he says, my little children. Um, yes, what is happening with his little children? It says, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth. What is this about? Childbirth. What is he connecting childbirth to? Why is this anguish so filled with such pain? Because his little children who he had taught and nurtured have turned away from the word. And this is the anguish to which he was facing. For whom I am again, Paulin, in the anguish of childbirth. Right? So they're going through their growth pains yet again. Um, and um, I think when we talk about uh, this next piece, which I think is a big part, is these last words of uh, verse 19, until Christ is formed in you. So there is anguish in childbirth until Christ is formed. Uh, formed from the Greek uh, morphe, so morph, like you morph into something or metamorphosis, right? But that morphe, the voice is passive. So, so why is the passive so important in this text? Until Christ is passively formed, that you're passively receiving this formation through the word of Christ. Um, again, why is that important? Because... I think a lot of times here in the context, we see the Judaizers saying, no, you do this. Uh, rather than St. Paul saying, no, Christ has done this for you. He died and rose on the third day and he gives you life, forgiveness, and salvation. Right? Uh, and here it's that passive. Now, my question to you, and Luther didn't ask this in his, in his commentary, but Luther uh, I guess would write something, and I'm asking the question based on Luther's writing, is what is uh, you know, when we talk about the form of a Christian, the formation of a Christian, what does that look like when we know that those last words of until Christ is passively voice formed in you? Now, remember, morphe, passive means this is the activity of God. This is how faith is formed in you, by the activity of God. How does God work? By his word, the Holy Spirit who creates faith in you. So when we talk about the form of a Christian, in light of that, what do you say about the formation of a Christian? How does that come to be? What is, you think, the good Lutheran answer to that? I'm going to go with faith. All right. Good. Faith. That's a good uh, umbrella. That's a good umbrella call, right? Uh, faith, good. Um, anyone else on that? Can you repeat the question one more time? Uh, how are we formed as Christian? What is the formation of a Christian? Sorry, my questions are so like, 
slightly different, but what is the formation? How are we formed as a Christian? Now, again, remember the key is passive. Well, I think Don nailed it then. I think he nailed it. That's probably the number one answer, right? Yeah, I mean, faith is that broad answer, which I think definitely is the right answer. But specifically, when we speak of passives, what is our life of faith? It is, as Don said, passive, right? It is what we receive by the power of God's word, nothing of our doing. Everything about our faith is passive. Do you, do you right. see that? When you talk about formation of a Christian, if it's like 10 ways to be a better disciple, that is not what we're talking about, about formation passively as a Christian. Your formation was happening in the water and word when you were a baby, right? Your formation, continue, your formation is in 2,000 years ago when Jesus shed his uh, body and blood on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this is where you were formed, by the word of God, the gospel, right? All passive. There's no I, 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 or decision, or commit, or dedicate, or give my life. This is Jesus giving. This is Jesus committing um, his life to die on the cross for your sins. And this is where that formation belongs. Until Christ is formed in you. How is Christ formed in you? Whoever is baptized into Christ has put on Christ. One chapter before. It's the word. Passive receiving right so when we talk about the living word that is preached a lot of times it's um i know people you know i've i've always uh had uh people in my you know just as a pastor like oh pastor you know um could you preach this way or pastor could you preach that way um we like a little more story or we like a little more uh you know more of a side joke here or there I've never heard that one before, but I can imagine someone saying that. Like, you know, can you sprinkle in something more like, uh, what's the word? Something more um, entertaining. Uh, entertaining. Entertaining. You might hear something like that. And this is, this is very common. You know, you hear people say that. Um, but I think when we preach, uh, why, why do we preach what we do? Because we trust that the word of God is living and active, just as scripture says. We preach the living word of God. We preach the text because we know that there by his word, our faith is sustained. Right? That's why we come to church, not to be entertained, right? Not to per se learn. I mean, Bible study we learn, uh, uh, but in the sermon, you know, hearing the word, uh, there we're receiving uh, 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 convicted, but also comforted, right? The work of the Holy Spirit, convicting us of our sin, comforting us in the gospel. We study the word together right now to be edified and to grow in the scriptures. Because at the end of the day, since as we study, we're not being itched by the false teachings of the world. If we do not know the scriptures, we'll take every every teaching and say, oh yeah, that sounds good. I believe it. But our filter is the scriptures, right? The way we see is through the scriptures. And I think this is where, when we talk about formation in you, Luther says this, now the form of the Christian mind is faith. The trust of the heart, which takes hold of Christ, clings only to him and to nothing else besides. A heart that is equipped with such confidence has the true form of Christ, 
which is provided by the ministry of the word. Right? So, um, St. Paul is not the one who, who is giving them the faith, right? It's not St. Paul who's winning them over. I think when we talk about evangelism and all these things, it's like we're always talking about how we have to win people over to Christ. Um, and that's, I don't think, the best way to look at it, right? Just give them the word. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit comforts and grants faith. We're not winning anyone, right? It is Christ who is formed in us passively. Apostles' Creed, Article 3, right? So it's very important when we talk about uh, a Paul and every pastor, but also evangelism, that it's credited solely to the grace of God and his word. And we trust that his word works. When you read the word, when you hear the word, when you study his word, this word actually points you to the life-saving message of Christ. St. Paul is that chosen instrument, right? Where many would believe and come to the knowledge of truth. This is as it says in 2 Timothy, that this is the will of God. Um, but yet here we see in verse 20, uh, since he is not present with them, you know, he's writing in letter form, and it is a very difficult form as he, uh, they are unable to have uh, the right tone. But I think um, this is a very important part here about being formed. The Judaizers would say, what about being form formed? It's to follow the law of Moses and to get circumcised. That is their formation. And that has manifested itself in our Christianity today in so many different ways, right? That formation of a Christian is the body and blood of Jesus, is the passive reception of gifts that God gives us to dead sinners. When we know who we are, we cannot achieve salvation by this flesh, right? It's passively received by the grace of God who comes down to us and dies for our sins. And this is the constant in the life of faith, right? Um, and that's why we do what we do, uh, because uh, we find in the text, um, well, our life-saving message of Christ. All right, um, why don't we continue here? Uh, verse 21 to 23, if someone could read that. I got it. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. His sons by the slave woman were born in an ordinary way, but the son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. All right. So, so Abraham and Sarah, um, Hagar and Ishmael, that story in Genesis 16, right? Uh, the story of, uh, you, know, you know, Sarah uh, not, be, uh, not uh, barren, right, without children. Um, Abraham, Sarah, and there, their servant, the Egyptian servant. Uh, there, uh, you know, Abraham, uh, for the sake of kids, uh, had a child with Hagar, and Ishmael was the child. Now, Again, this was a human move in a sense of their decision process. Like, okay, we're, we can't have babies. We're, we're old. We're in our 80s. You know, come on, right? Uh, and, uh, yeah, we have our servant, Hagar. So, you know, maybe uh, 
try with her and, and, and there they had a baby Ishmael, right? Uh, but then at the end of the day, uh, the Lord came to them, Sarah and Isaac, and, and they said, you will have a child. And they thought it was, well, Sarah, as we see in the text in Genesis 17, I believe, uh, she was laughing. Why was she laughing? Because, wow, you know, do you know? Do you want me to show you my license? Do you know how old I am? Like, do you think I could ever have a child? I mean, we've tried. I'm barren. It's over. But there, uh, the Lord promised her a child. Now, again, why does St. Paul bring up these two verses? Because I think, um, and we'll kind of uh, go generally through this, but the basic motif is that one is of man or one is of the law. Uh, and the other is of a promise. Now, what the law does is this. Without the promise, the law is just the law, right? Uh, we know the ending of Hagar and Ishmael. Um, and, you know, with the promise, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, right? This is the promise to which God has given to them. And that is the promise to which, you know, the, the offspring uh, that all nations would be blessed. And that's Jesus. So when we see, I think in general, when our human nature uh, goes about and tries to, let's say, figure it out, there we see the end point. But with the promise of God, through the illustration of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, we know that there is an eternal promise that is given, divine promise given by the Lord. Now, how does this relate? We'll talk about more of this next week. But when we talk about the Judaizers, what is it? It's all human, right? It's all human. Because they think as humans, they could actually save themselves by the law. That was their key point of teaching. And at the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, uh, as they were cast off, uh, such as it was for Ishmael, uh, that, that is the end result. But for, you know, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac here with the promise, there we see uh, that through this line would come the Christ and ultimately the gospel and the good purpose of God. So that whole division between those two ways is where St. Paul is really trying to show the Galatians what is result when it comes to human form versus or the human purpose versus the good purpose of God. And um, I think he uses these two birthing moments uh, to show that structure to what is born of the flesh and what is born of the spirit. Um, so, yes, uh, I think uh, I know we, we went further than the morning. I know the morning we only went four verses. So um, I don't want to go too far. And I know the morning class had more questions and, and, and thoughts about it. Uh, but uh, as we look at uh, this example of Hagar and Sarah, again, um, such an important kind of dichotomy. And I'll, I'll just go through these uh, kind of these comparisons for you. You know, when we talk about being bound or being the slave woman or being a free woman, verse 22, uh, that, is, that is the picture of basically kind of like the law and the gospel that Ishmael was born 
uh, naturally into this world, but Isaac was born supernaturally by the promise of God. Uh, that when we talk about the old covenant of the Old Testament with keeping the laws and the sacrifices and all these things, it always pointed to the upcoming new covenant, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And kind of we see this balance between Hagar as the woman enslaved versus Sarah, the free, the free woman, um, and um, clearly uh, it shows the importance of teaching and preaching the word of God, Christ, and in him crucified. Everything else will hold people in bondage, right? Um, I think, uh, and, and as we see this kind of parallel, as we see Hagar, we see the law, which, uh, which if it is alone, believing that the law saves, it'll only bring someone further into slavery. By the divine promise of God, Sarah is that picture of the freedom of a Christian in the body and blood of Jesus. Right? And that's the thing, you guys. Um, we are enamored by the law. So easy are we twisted up into it as if we need to bring something tangible to the table to measure up. Now, is the law good? Yes. Does it show us how to love and serve our neighbor? Yes. Does it save us? No. Do we want to use it as a, you know, balancing of scales? We can be tempted by that, can't we? Right? We can be tempted to think, oh, well, I've done good. I'm balancing out the scale. No, no, it's, it's, it's the blood of Christ. And this is where we are set free. So uh, as, we, as we see it today, you guys, and we'll, I know we'll, we'll probably stop there because I don't want to get too far with the other group. Uh, we'll stop at verse uh, uh, 20, 23 right there. But, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And that is the divide. So, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll close there for today. Sorry, I know it seems shorter than usual, but uh, apologies on that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll continue next week to talk a, more, talk a bit more about Hagar and Sarah and what that looks like. Uh, but any thoughts on that uh, before we close this day? Any thoughts? Well, the only, the only thing I find interesting in all of it is just the way that God promised, had made promises to Abraham and somehow, some way, I guess he decided that he was going to intervene and help himself get there, which is a very big temptation we all have. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Good point. You know, that's, that's the law part of us trying to be our own little gods and make our own little world, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good. Good. Um, anyone else? Any thoughts before we close? Any comments? Any epiphanies? Um, just remember that, the good purpose. You know, that's the thing, you guys. With a clear conscience, we go. And where does that clear conscience? It is in the good purpose of Christ. Remember that. Are we perfect? No. Do we strive to be? Well, we can strive, but we'll always fall short in sin. But there is Christ, and that is the good purpose of God. As we proceed in loving and serving in this life, in this life of faith, as we trust and cling uh, to the promise of Christ, there we go. Right? So 
remember that. And at the end of the day, the deception of the Judaizers, well, follow this, follow this, follow this, follow this. And at the end of the day, where are they? They're despaired in slavery. Right? And that's, I got one. That's the key. I got so. one, Pastor. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Right? The words from you. Well, those are words from St. Paul. So I can't take credit oh. for that one. But those are such good words from Romans 14, you know. I believe I heard those tonight. Yes. Sir. Yep. <laughs> so um, that's right. St. Paul, we can learn a lot from. And uh, that, that is how we are formed in the word of God. So keep on hearing the word. Study the word. Uh, follow along. I know tomorrow we have What Does This Mean? We're going to talk about hope. I don't know if you saw that awesome advertisement we had with Jeff in tow, uh, giving some poignant words about hope. But uh, it's going to be a great one. And uh, we're, just, we're just always striving with the good purpose of God. And sometimes that takes a lot of what? It takes a lot of, when you love people, you tell them the truth. And sometimes the truth is not what people want to hear. But we as Christians, we as Lutherans, we stand tall for what the word says because we know and we love and we care for those around us and their spiritual welfare. We're not thin-sitting, we're not hired hands, but rather uh, uh, we, we, we believe in the true gift of this gospel for what it gives, and that is Christ. Um, and there we go. Um, in the joyous freedom that he gives uh, through his death and resurrection. So anyways, uh, we'll stop there. We'll stop there and we'll proceed next week uh, and we'll go from there. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray together this night? Dearly Father, we thank you for this day, O oh Lord, uh, for forming us by your grace. Thank you, O oh Lord, for the gift of our Savior. Thank you for calling us by name through the water and word of holy baptism. Thank you for giving us your body and blood at the supper for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you by your grace to call us your own so that we may um, live and have a uh, live, move and have our being in your gracious promises. Bless us this night as we go to sleep. And may we close our eyes in your peace, knowing that we reside in your good purpose. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.